Hello world and welcome to the third episode of the Figure It Out Guy podcast where we are going to do a deep dive into how to start investing. Um, after the first recorded podcast where I basically discuss things to do uh, to stay productive while in quarantine and try and make the best of the situation, I had a lot of people reach out asking about investing. They were like, okay, well you mentioned a few things in there, but what do you mean by investing? What do you mean by a high yield savings account or high interest savings account? What do you mean by stocks? Where do I get started? Um, what kind of retirement accounts are there? All those sorts of things kept coming up. So by popular demand, I have come back and as promised, I am going to give you an in-depth guide on how to start investing. So please keep in mind, you do not need an insane amount of money to get going. I am not a rich person by any stretch of the imagination, but I have started setting up for the future and there are things you can do with as little as $500 or a few hundred dollars or technically speaking, there's a few things you can do with zero dollars won't really do anything for you with zero, but you can start things with zero dollars is what I'm hinting at. So uh, without further ado, I just wanted to say that um, this is going to be very fun. I spent a lot of time putting this together. So please, if you could and you enjoy any of the information you get out of this or you just love looking at my gross beard or whatever it may be or my new fancy self-cut haircut, um, just please give us a like on the video. If you could like, follow, share, do all those things and subscribe, that would help out so much, especially for the YouTube algorithm and getting some more views on this video because I did spend a lot of time making this as up-to-date as possible where anybody, anybody can watch this and should be able to start getting ready for the future. There are things in here that I mentioned earlier, have they require zero dollars to get started. Obviously, you're not gonna earn any money with zero dollars, but you can get started with zero. You can get things set up and then kind of build towards the future. So please make sure to give me some love, leave some comments, let me know if there's some things that I missed, if there's some things that you think uh, could have been explained a little bit better, you want some more detail on, please make sure to leave those in the comments, whether you're listening on iTunes, watching on YouTube, listening on SoundCloud, or any of the other places that this gets posted that I'm unaware of. So without further ado, let's get started. So the first thing I wanted to do throughout this video, if you're watching, I'm going to be taking myself off the camera so that you can actually see the content better. I spent a lot of time doing this old school and building um, a, basically a PowerPoint presentation that has everything up to date. It was very difficult to find current listings of current, um, you know, current bank rates and current things like that. So I compiled a list of everything that I could. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Oh yeah, check out that spiffy intro to investing PowerPoint, son. Get at it. Sorry if you're just listening on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud, you can't see it, but damn, it's beautiful. Uh, I will be reading verbatim what I have in here, so you sh should still be able to get plenty of information if you're just listening and not actually uh, watching this video on YouTube. Uh, also, I will have the video or the link to the video that spawned this one in the link below, so make sure to go check that out if you haven't already. All right, so. Intro to investing by the figure it out guy. I'm, I'm gonna be testing out voices as we go through this, but what is investing? What can I do? What the hell are you talking about right now? And why is this important to me? So if you wanna get set up for the future and when things like the coronavirus hit or an economic 
you know, collapse or anything like that starts to happen, you want to be set up and you want to know that you have your emergency funds going and that you have, you know, some sort of fallback plan. So in my opinion, you can never be too prepared for things. So I'm learning as I go. Uh, This is not something, it's not like I have 10 years of experience in investing and knowing exactly how you should do that. And actually that leads me into uh, my next thing. So Quick disclaimer, oh, I'm sliding the wrong way. <clears throat> I am a dummy. That being said, I am not a professional. Everything that I talk about in this video and in this podcast and in this recording is all strictly my opinions, things that I've either tried or that I've learned about uh, and should not be taken as financial advice. You should always contact a professional should you have anything that you wanna get set up regarding your finances, it's always good to contact a professional. So, I am a dummy. Please, these are just some things that I found throughout the way that may help you along, but they are my opinions. Again, disclaimer, I am not a professional and these are strictly my opinions. Okay, now that we got through that, first thing I wanted to talk about, which had the most interest by far, was a high yield savings account. What is a high yield savings account? So, a high yield savings account is a type of savings account that typically pays 20 to 25 times the national average of a standard savings account. So if you, for instance, I have a Chase account and with the Chase account, if you look at a savings account, my current uh, interest rate, I believe is like a 10th of a percent uh, is what I'm accruing in interest in my savings account, uh, which is nothing. So that is pretty terrible, right? So that means as inflation goes up, I'm actually gonna end up losing the value of my money. You can go do a deep dive down inflation if you want later on. But basically, most people know that, for instance, money in 1970 has a different value versus money today. Hence why they'll say things like $1 million in 1910 is now worth $100 million, those sorts of things, it's inflation. So. That being said, when your money's just sitting somewhere and not accruing any interest, the value of that money is actually going down. Now, I know that comparing the 1910 $1 million example to being worth $100 million now is not exactly helping clear that up, but please, if you wanna do a deep dive in inflation, you're more than welcome to, but you can just kinda take my word for it that there's a thing called inflation and that your value of your money will actually go down if you are not accruing any interest on it. So. That being said, uh, let me go ahead and slide. I'm gonna see if I can slide out of the way here. Okay, cool. So if I just kinda show half of my face for the remainder of this video, you guys will actually be able to read the content. Cool. Uh, so, traditionally, people have held a savings account at the same bank where they hold their checking account. Very straightforward, you usually have one in the same, where you have a checking and savings account at one bank and you can transfer between them, those sorts of things, um, but with, internet-only banks as traditional banks that have opened their doors to customers across the country are using online account opening, the competition on savings rates has skyrocketed, and that's good news for us. What that means is there's a new category called high-yield savings accounts. So, some things to consider when it comes to high-yield savings account. Uh, The interest rates are typically insanely higher than what you're seeing right now, and you can compare this at any point that you would like. Uh, Just look at your savings account at whatever bank or institution you're using and they'll have an interest rate there and you can compare that versus what uh, high yield savings accounts are offering. So typically 20 to 25 times higher than traditional savings accounts. This means that 
Uh, for instance, in certain accounts that are high yield savings accounts, if you were to put, let's say you were rich, and this is just one example of how the rich can continually get richer and make their money work for them, is let's say they put $100,000 into a high yield savings account. Now, if that put out, let's say 1.7% annual percentage yield um, around there, they would essentially be making $1,700 a year for having that $100,000 sit there. Now, you can imagine that once you get up to the point of having you know, that kind of money, you could literally just leave your money in accounts that will make you thousands of dollars a year without you doing anything. So that's why a lot of times they say, make your money work for you. Well, it's easy to say when you have a shit ton of money and you can make it work for you. But the same idea applies to those of us who are the peasants and are not millionaires. So uh, you put, you know, $100 into one of these accounts, let's say it pays 1.5% annual percentage yield, you will get $1.50 back every year. So it doesn't sound like a lot, right? But you gotta remember compounding. So the more you add to that, the more that number grows. And also this is you putting money into an account and doing nothing with it. So uh, they are great for emergency funds, You know, funds you're not gonna, gonna touch a lot and you're gonna you know, leave alone for a while or um, you know, if you want to have, if you have a short-term goal that you know over the next you know three to five years or something, you want to have X amount of dollars and you want to be able to set it aside and not touch it. High yield savings accounts are great for that because they're just going to accrue interest without you having to do anything, and you can continually add to them. Uh, a few other things here are uh, a lot of your banks, like where you already bank, may have high yield savings accounts, but um, usually, generally speaking, the best rates to get the most bang for your buck, so to speak, are gonna be online only banks, like uh, which I will show some examples here shortly. Um, electronic transfers are easy to set up between a high yield savings account and your checking account, even if you hold them at different banks. I can verify that that is true because I've done it myself. I have, um, bank accounts with Chase, and then you have bank accounts with a place like Ally, which is an online-only bank who does offer high-yield savings accounts. Uh, those you can transfer back and forth between without any issues. So um, kind of one of the main things to think about as you're going through this is to consider different account options. So different high-yield savings accounts will have different uh, factors such as initial deposit requirements, interest rates, minimum balance requirements, and any possible account fees. So you wanna be very careful when you're shopping around. You wanna make sure you know exactly what you're signing up for, as some of them are completely free, require no deposit down to start the account. Uh, some of them require you know, $10,000 to start getting the best annual percentage yield. Uh, and without that, you get you know virtually nothing. So you wanna make sure to really check the details on there, especially when it comes to account fees, that they have maintenance fees, those sorts of things. You really wanna make sure you do your research on that. Now let's take a look at some examples. So I obviously could not talk about high yield savings accounts without putting some examples in here for everyone to see. So the one that I am actually considering opening as we speak is HSBC Direct. So HSBC is a gigantic national bank, uh, international bank, excuse me. Uh, I believe they are based in, I wanna say the UK, but I could be wrong. Um, but they started a thing called HSBC Direct, which currently is offering 1.6% annual percentage yield, uh, meaning annual percentage yield, by the way, is just what percentage of the money you put in there will you get back each year. Um, 
hence annual percentage yield. So right now they're offering 1.6%, meaning that after a year, you're gonna get 1.6% of what you have in there. Uh, this does go obviously you know, month to month. It's, it's you know, dependent on how much you have in there. And um, you know, again, check the details of everything before you sign up for something to make sure you know what you're signing up for. Uh, this one requires a $1 minimum opening deposit. So one thing I want to get out of the way right now is there are accounts that you can open that may or may not have higher annual percentage yields, but I tried to only include ones that require either zero minimum to start or a $1 minimum or things like that and don't have hefty fees. So that's what I tried to avoid where any, anything that was like you have to have a $10,000 minimum to get you know their annual percentage yield or those sorts of things. So. Uh, these are, again, do research, check it all out, but the ones that I've listed here do not require insane amounts of money to get started and they don't have hefty fees. So um, yeah, the HSBC direct savings account only requires $1 to open and there's no monthly maintenance fee. Your initial deposit needs to be new money, which are deposits and investments not previously held by any member of the HSBC group in the US. So basically you have to start a new account with new money. Uh, there is a $10 monthly service fee if you have a checking and savings account linked and don't meet the requirements to have the fee waived. What that means is this, this is something to really pay attention to. A lot of these accounts, if you want to have checking and savings in the same spot with this high interest um, or you know, high yield savings account, a lot of them do require either monthly fees or a minimum balance to avoid monthly fees for having both. So make sure to double and triple check that whenever you're signing up. Next, we have Citibank, which is offering 1.55% annual percentage yield with a $0 minimum opening deposit. Uh, this is one that is not available in some of the larger states, such as California and New York. That list may be a little bit longer, but those are the two that I found. There is a $4.50 monthly service fee if your savings account isn't linked to a city checking account. You can avoid this fee by keeping an average monthly balance of at least $500 in your savings account if it is not linked to a city checking account. So in this case, it is probably a good thing to just go ahead and set up the checking account, but again, completely up to you. Uh, talk with a professional. And finally, there is a $10 monthly service fee if you have a checking and savings account linked and don't meet the minimum requirements to have the fee waived. So make sure that you comb through all these and you know exactly what the fees are, what the minimums are to avoid those fees, so on and so forth. Then we have Ally Bank. So this one has been around for a while. I believe currently this still holds. Now with the coronavirus, again, you're going to want to do more research because this changes almost weekly with uh, some banks pulling back on paying out high interest yields. Uh, some things like that. So always make sure to know the up-to-date information. Um, but Ally Bank is offering a 1.5% annual percentage yield and requires $0 to uh, have that opening deposit to get things started. Ally Bank uh, started in 2004 and is headquartered in Sandy, Utah. In 2009, GMAC Bank was transformed into Ally Bank. Ally Bank exceeded 1 million Ally Bank customer accounts by 2012 and currently has 1.5 million customers. So it is an online only bank and it is one that is FDIC insured, I believe. You can double check that and has you know over a million customers. So 
some one thing I noticed is some of these banks, when it comes to online banks, you want to do a lot of research because some of them seem a little bit sketch, like they just started this year or a few months ago, or they just started last year. So you always want to make sure that these things are insured, backed up, and that if something were to happen, you're safe and you don't have to worry about your money. It's just kind of, you know, the most of them are completely legitimate, but you always want to, again, do full thorough research to know what you're getting into. Uh, then we have the Ally Bank also offers a checking account, a money market account, term CDs, a no penalty CD, and two terms of a raise your rate CD. So CDs are certificate of deposit accounts. I'm gonna go into those actually right after this. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on them, uh, but they are also an option for investing. Uh, however, they get a little bit tricky in terms of if you're trying to get your money back out of that. Usually the setup is you just have to give them X amount of dollars for X amount of time, and then you get paid at the end of that time. But you can't touch the money usually in between that time. But we'll dive a little bit further into that shortly. So that's kind of the, the wrap up of Ally Bank, 1.5% annual percentage yield and $0 to get started. And they do offer checking accounts as well. Then we have uh, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So this is uh, kind of a branch of Goldman Sachs that is offering 1.55% annual percentage yield, again, with $0 minimum opening deposit. Marcus by Goldman Sachs is a brand of Goldman Sachs USA, or Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Marcus offers a variety of CDs, three no penalty CD terms, and a competitive yield on its savings accounts. Marcus by Goldman Sachs now has an app available on iOS and one coming to Google Play this spring, uh, according to their website. So this is a familiar name. Mostly everybody's familiar with Goldman Sachs. Um, you know, 2008 was not exactly the best year for them, but Goldman Sachs does have um, Marcus, which is kind of a, a newer thing that they're doing where they're offering these high yield savings accounts and they're trying to get more tech with it, I guess. So they're developing an app and, and something in the Google Play Store. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on there. So that kind of concludes high yield savings accounts. I wanted to, this was the one that I probably had the most interest in was high yield savings accounts, what those are, where to find them and those sorts of things. So again, those are just some examples that I had listed, but hopefully now you kind of have an idea of what those are and kind of what the key takeaways for a high yield savings account is and why you should go ahead and probably set one up just because again, inflation at the, at the very least, you're going to, you know, hopefully outbeat inflation. So definitely something to consider. Most of them require, do not have super stiff requirements to get started. So you can at least start investing now and get yourself set up for the future. Uh, the next on the list kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with high yield savings accounts. It's a little bit different of a setup, but this one is old, uh, tried and true certificate of deposits have been around a long time. And uh, basically a certificate of deposit or CD is what it's commonly known as, is a type of federally insured savings account that has a fixed interest rate and a fixed date of withdrawal known as maturity date. CDs also typically don't have monthly fees. Share certificates, which are the credit union version of a CD, are also low risk as they are insured up to the same amount through the National Credit Union Administration. Savings accounts let you deposit and withdraw funds relatively freely, but with a CD, you typically agree to leave your money in a bank for a set amount of time called the term length, during which you cannot access the funds without paying a penalty. That is a very important one to keep in mind when it comes to CDs. Think of it 
kind of as a loan. Um, you're going to put X amount of dollars into a bank account that's a CD, and you already agree to. Usually, it's a fixed rate, and you agree to you know for five years you're going to leave this money in there, and you're not going to touch it, and it's going to accrue, accrue X amount of interest over that time, and then they pay you out at the end, and you get your money back. So very similar to loaning the bank money. Um, a lot of times if you do need to get a hold of that money again, you will pay a penalty to do any withdrawals. So that's something to keep in mind when it comes to certificate of deposits or CDs is that that money you're basically going to loan out for X amount of time and then you get it back with interest at the end. Uh, term links can be as short as a few days or as long as a decade, uh, but standard range of options is between three months and five years. So something to keep in mind. Usually, I believe the way it goes is the longer term, generally speaking, the more you'll get out of it. Uh, I think a lot of these can be like in the 2%, 2.2% range of, uh, of a yield. So basically, you would get 2.2% you know, building over the term of that length. Uh, and then you would get that at the very end when the term is expired. So again, the best way to think of CDs is a loan to a bank and then uh, you get X amount back with interest. So you get your money back plus interest at the end of the term length. Now we're gonna dive a little bit more into retirement accounts. This was another thing that was brought up uh, quite a bit on the feedback from the first video. Um, I had mentioned high yield savings accounts and everybody was very interested in that because that one generally speaking is pretty straightforward. I mean, if you have a savings account, um, as long as you do your research on it, you should in theory be able to set up a high yield savings account and at least get that money to work for you a little bit more so than the very, very low amount of interest I'm sure you're accruing right now on your savings account. So that one's kind of easy and straightforward. Definitely look into high yield savings accounts. Next, I'm gonna go into the retirement accounts. Again, this was brought up quite a bit. What type of requirement uh, retirement accounts are there? Um, specifically, I had a lot of questions about uh, Roth IRA, those sorts of things. So I'm going to kind of go through the top and most common retirement accounts. Um, a lot of these you'll be familiar with, like this first one I'm going to go over is, is 401k. So this is a retirement account that usually is offered through your employer. However, there is a thing called the 401k solo if you're independently employed and uh, are self-employed and don't have any workers, you can look into a 401k solo. Um, but we'll go back, the general masses are familiar with the 401k, so I'll kind of go through these a little bit quicker. But basically, a 401k account is offered through employers, so you obviously have to check with your employer and workplace to see if this is available to you. Um, 401ks, Usually, if you have a if you have a really solid setup um, with retirement at your workplace, they'll usually match a certain percentage of what you put into 401k, which is fantastic. I highly recommend that if you do have that option available to you and your employer is willing to match what you put in up to a certain percent, you put in as much as you can. Basically, max out that percentage to make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck. Uh, in 2020, the IRS allows you to contribute up to 19,500 to a 401k if you're under 50 years old. If you are age 50 or older, you can put up to $26,000 in the 401k account. Your employer may match a certain portion of your contributions. The amount contributed to a 401k is deducted from your taxable income. You'll need to start taking withdrawals from the account known as a required minimum distributions starting at age 70 and a half. So, something to keep in mind here, that third, uh, 
point that I made, the amount contributed to a 401k is deducted from your taxable income. That's something to keep in mind. That is one of the primary distinctions between a Roth IRA and a 401k. Uh, the amount contributed to the 401k is deducted from your taxable income. Uh, you know, so something to keep in mind is that when you get further down the road, you're going to um, obviously this is tax-free upfront, basically, is, is what happens. And you end up uh, paying taxes in the end unless you hit certain requirements. But uh, when funds are withdrawn, they're subject to taxes. So like I was just saying, something to keep in mind is that when you take the money out, that's when the taxes hit you, but it is not taxed going in. So you may also face penalties if you take money out of the account before the age of 59 and a half. That is a big one to keep in mind. So with the 401k, the best possible scenario is you have employer matching and you do not touch the money until you are 59 and a half years old. If you take out money before that, the uh, distribution um, penalties are usually pretty steep. Like I think they range between 15 and 25% depending on the current situation, how much you're taking out and those sorts of things. But the, the general rule of thumb is if you can, don't touch the 401k money. Now that can be hard for certain things like right now. I do believe uh, the government uh, with the CARES Act did include something about being able to take distributions from the 401k without penalty. Definitely research that because I'm kind of just talking out of my ass there, but I'm, I'm almost certain I heard something about that. But generally speaking, you will get penalized pretty heavily if you uh, take out before 59 and a half because you get hit with the taxes and penalties on top of that. So uh, you lose a big chunk of that money if you take it out before then. Next, we have the IRA or individual retirement account, a general IRA. So an individual retirement account is only available to those with earned income. You have to have income coming in. If you earn $2,000, you'll be able to put up to $2,000 in the account. The contribution limit for an IRA is $6,000 in 2020 or $7,000 if you are 50 years or older. Like a 401k, you'll receive a tax deduction for the money you put into the IRA. When you withdraw the funds, they will be considered taxable income. You'll need to start taking distributions from the account after you turn 70 and a half years old. That is when it will require you to start taking distributions from an IRA. Next, we have the one that a lot of people asked about, which is one that I have currently open through Vanguard. Uh, it is a Roth IRA. So like an IRA, you need earned income to be eligible for a Roth IRA, and the amount contributed cannot be more than the amount you earn. So essentially, they have limits on IRAs of what you can contribute each year, and it can never be more than you earn in a year. That being said, most of you earn a lot more than what their limits are, um, but definitely something to keep in mind. So you can set aside up to $6,000 in 2020 or $7,000 if you are age 50 or older. Unlike an IRA, you'll pay taxes on the amount of money you contribute to a Roth IRA. However, the money grows tax-free in the account and no income tax will be due on the Roth IRA withdrawals in retirement. So basically, this is front-loaded. You're gonna pay the taxes going in, but then as those capital gains go in throughout uh, you know, the, growing, the growth of this account, uh, you will not pay um, extra, basically, when you take the money out. So you, it's front-loaded, you pay up front, whereas a 401k, you pay when you take it out. 
Roth IRAs you pay up front. So these are great as kind of individual accounts, uh, hence individual retirement account. But let's say you have a 401k through work, they don't match, or even if they do, you still have some extra left over and you wanna have another retirement account that is going to earn you money. A Roth IRA is a great way to go for that. You can contribute to the account for as long as you continue to earn income, including after age 70 and a half. So that also differs a bit. You're not required to take everything out at 70 and a half. You can keep going after the age 70 and a half. A Roth IRA does not require that you take distributions in retirement. So again, that's kind of a difference between the IRA and the 401k. So you don't have to take distributions from a Roth IRA. You can just leave it there. Um, depending on your setup, you may or may not want to do that. But that's kind of a deeper dive into a Roth IRA. Uh, the, the big things to take away here are that it is front-loaded, so you're going to pay taxes going in, not coming out, and that you're not required to take distributions in, reti in retirement. Um, obviously, you can, but a Roth IRA is great for a lot of different things. You have flexibility when it comes to setting it up. So, uh, for instance, my Roth IRA has um, exchange-traded funds in it, which is something I'm going to dive into here shortly. But... Basically, you have a little bit more flexibility with a Roth IRA. It's great for kind of a second retirement account or if you are um, you know, self-employed or anything like that. A Roth IRA is a great way to go. You basically pay the money in and then let it sit. But if you do uh, you know, take some out, you're not going to get hit with steep taxes and all that stuff at the end. So again, do your research on this. Several, several institutions out there offer these. Um, but do your research and check into it. Roth IRA is great. I cannot stress it enough. It's awesome if you can set it up to get started now. Then there's one that a lot of people that I know personally have this available to them and they do not take advantage of it. So in today's environment, a lot of people are taking um, high deductible insurance plans from their employer, right? So your, your employer is offering a high deductible uh, medical insurance plan and maybe that's the cheapest one. Generally speaking, it is, and a lot of people opt in because of that, or maybe you don't get sick a lot, and so you're like, I'm gonna take the high deductible as kind of a just-in-case. So with high deductible savings accounts, there usually should always be a health savings account that is attached to that as an option. So this is something to definitely look into, especially if you have a high deductible um, medical insurance account. Um, you, health insurance, sorry, I keep saying medical, but health insurance, one and the same. Uh, you definitely want to look in and see if this is available to you. So a health savings account can be used to build funds to help cover health costs in retirement. To be eligible for an HSA, you need to have a high deductible health insurance plan. You can contribute up to $3,550 to an HSA in 2020 as an individual or as much as $7,100 if you have family coverage. There is an additional $1,000 contribution allowed if you are 55 years or older. The amount set aside in an HSA is tax deductible. The funds grow at a tax-free and, or sorry, the funds grow tax-free and can be, can be withdrawn tax-free if they are used to pay for qualifying medical expenses. So a health savings account, basically you can put money into this to save up for uh, Oftentimes, a lot of people will use this for like if they need LASIK down the road or some sort of surgery or something like that. Um, you can, if it qualifies as a medical expense, you can have this account ready to go. So this kind of offsets the fact that you have a high deductible plan. Basically meaning that if you have a high deductible plan, you're probably gonna pay, let's say $5,000 out of pocket if something goes wrong and you need surgery. 
Usually it's somewhere around there, three to 5,000, maybe more, maybe less, but typically it's around that range. Uh, so the high savings account will allow you to save money on the side that is tax-free, and oftentimes employers will match the money you put in there up to a certain percentage. Uh, so that is something to also check with HR or you know whoever's in charge of that, check with them and get the details on this. But oftentimes you can get that money matched. So if something did go wrong, you have all this money set aside in an HSA that will essentially grow tax-free for you um, without you having to do anything. So it's kind of a safety net there, which is fantastic to have, especially if you have a high deductible health plan. Um, one thing to keep in mind is like flexible spending accounts like I have, they are most, most of the time they're use it or lose it year over year. So you have to use the money that's in there, um, otherwise you lose it. HSAs continue on forever. So an HSA will just continue going um, and it will continue growing. So it's not a year to year thing. This is something you can hold on to. Even if you leave that company, you can oftentimes hold on to an HSA. And a lot of times if you go with a new company that maybe has a different provider, you can work things out to roll those in, whatever you wanna do, but you will be able to continue year over year holding on to this. So that's a big, big thing to keep in mind. Next, we're gonna dump yeah, we're going to dump. We're going to dump right in here, boys and girls and everybody else. Um, next, we're going to jump into stocks. So this is something that also had a lot of interest. People were wondering, what am I doing with stocks? I'm not a professional stockbroker. So again, everything I'm putting here is general information and my opinions combined. So generally speaking, stocks are just a portion of a company. When you buy a stock, you're buying a small percentage of that company usually. Um, the easiest way, if you think of every movie ever, is you buy low and sell high for stocks, and that's how you make money. But yes, generally speaking, the best way to make money with stocks is that uh, you buy into the stocks, and then that stock price goes up over time because the company becomes more valuable or whatever it may be. Um, and that's the number one way to make money off of them. You know, you sell them, you make a profit. But then the next way that a lot of people look over is dividends. So a lot of companies will pay dividends to their stockholders, meaning that uh, usually it's quarterly. You get quarterly dividends or, or annual dividends where a company will literally pay you X amount um, for having stock in their company. And you get paid, usually it's per share uh, by you know a small percentage, you get paid per share and you get that every quarter. So as the company grows, if it pays out dividends, this is fantastic because you're gonna get paid quarterly and as that company grows, if you ever wanted to sell, you're going to make a profit on that sale. So getting stocks in companies that pay dividends is always a great idea. Um, it's just something to look into because you're gonna get basically paid to have that stock and then paid when you sell that stock, assuming everything goes up in value. Oh, do you agree, Oliver? Yeah, no, he's super stoked about dividend stocks. So. Something to keep in mind, dividend stocks get my dog very excited. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, uh, you can make money off dividends, um, getting regular distributions that go out to the investors, and you can make money when you, in theory, that you know, that stock goes up in value if you picked well, and then you can sell that stock for a profit. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that stocks are a little bit riskier, so companies can lose value or go out of business which is why you'll see things like the stock market crashed and everybody's you know stocks went to shit and it's all failing and everything is blowing up and there's fires everywhere. Uh, the stock market is riskier than all of the options that we've discussed so far. 
just for that reason, you know, economies can crash and companies can go down in value, which means your stock price is going to go down, which means your investment in that stock is going to go down and the value of it's going to go down, which means you're losing money at that point. But one of the most valuable things I've ever heard is you can't lose money on a stock until you sell the stock. So that being said, you got to know a lot of information about stocks. This is I got opened up to this world like in depth within about the last year. I've been going really hard in the stock paint, so to speak, just trying to learn about it. And there, it is so complex and so much luck is involved that it's very volatile and definitely something that uh, if you're going to do individual stocks and do it on your own, you really, really want to do your research and know what you're doing. Because even if you are 100%, I know everything that's going on, things like COVID-19 will hit and you will have not seen that coming. And so hopefully you are diversified enough to have a portfolio that will withstand this. So that's why stocks and companies like Apple and Amazon and you know, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Google or, or whoever, these, these gigantic publicly traded companies, the reason that they're so expensive is because those companies are worth so much. But also if you look at things like if you invest in Apple stock, the chances of that stock, like even if COVID-19 hits, sales go down, the chances of that company going out of business and not bouncing back from these sorts of things is much lower than if you went and bought like a penny stock of a company or a bio biomedical stock of a brand new company that isn't, you know, hasn't been around a long time. Maybe it doesn't have a lot of capital, whatever it may be. So you really, really, really want to do your research when it comes to stocks and they are extremely complex when you do individual stocks. Next, we have bonds. So a bond is a little bit less risky. Um, basically, it's a loan you make to a company or the government. When you purchase a bond, you're allowing the bond issuer to borrow your money and pay you back with interest. So this is typically government or company. It's kind of like CDs and the you know fact that you're essentially going to put this money out for X amount of time and then get paid on interest. Um, but these are typically through a company or a government, a governmental agency, um, which is why you have like government bonds and those sorts of things. Um, bonds are generally considered safer than stocks, but they also offer lower returns. So as with most things in the world, more risk equals more reward, but also more risk equals more risk. Basically, you can really screw things up if things go sideways. So Again, always talk to a professional when it comes to any of the things we're talking about. Make sure you know what you're doing before you start throwing money in places um, and just have a thorough understanding of what you're getting yourself into. Uh, but bonds are generally less risky than stocks. Um, the primary risk, as with any loan, is that the issuer could default U.S. government bonds are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States, which effectively eliminates that risk. Um, still, technically speaking, some people would say that there is still a risk. Some, you know, unforeseen circumstances could happen, and you know, with total anarchy, whatever. Uh, at that point, I don't imagine money would matter much anymore. But uh, state and city government bonds are generally considered the next safest option, followed by corporate bonds. The safer the bond, the lower the interest rate. So again, more risk, more reward. Less risk, less re less reward. Generally speaking, but everything I'm mentioning here are ways that you can make money and invest for your future. So keep that in mind. Now, a lot of people when they see like, oh, I'm only getting 1% or 2% or 3% or 10% back, they don't see that as very much. Um, but you gotta remember a lot of this is for you not really having to do anything. Um, individual stocks is a little bit different. If you're 
becoming your own stockbroker or whatever and you want to do day trading or swing trading or any of that kind of stuff where you're individually picking stocks. If you do that well, it's typically a full-time job um, if you're constantly doing it, but long-term investing is probably the best and easiest way to go where you buy something and hold on to it for a long time. Um, but that's for another video or another uh, podcast. So how do investors make money on bonds? Bonds are a fixed income investment because investors expect regular income payments. Interest is generally paid to investors in regular installments, typically once or twice a year. And the total principal is paid off at the bond's maturity date. So I know I said it's somewhat kind of similar to CDs earlier. CDs, you typically only get paid at the end when everything has uh, matured and you know your term is over. Bonds will pay out usually once or twice a year and then the total principal is paid back at the end of the entire uh, maturity, date, maturity date. So again, something to keep in mind. But bonds are a great option if you want something that's less risky than stocks. Um, again, you're basically investing, you can invest in things like the US government um, and buy government bonds where you're basically saying, here you go government, take this money as a loan, pay me back X amount when this is all done. And that's it. Now you're obviously not gonna get huge returns. And uh, a lot of these things, stocks, bonds, all those sorts of things, there's, there's ways around where you can make money faster on them. But again, the general rule of thumb is the more risk you take, the more reward you'll get, but it is more risk. So the risk of you losing everything is much higher when you start doing things like day trading as opposed to buying into bonds. So something to keep in consideration. Um, a lot of these are you're going to lend out your money or you're going to put your money into a, a, you know, an account and then it's just going to grow over time or you're going to get paid at the end. So those are things. That's why it's called investing because you're investing in something to try and get money back out of that investment. So it's not something that generally happens overnight. So you're not generally going to start with $100 and then have $1,000 the next day. That's not how this works at all. If you are doing that, you're probably a drug dealer. So next, this is something that is very popular, mutual funds. This is something that a lot of um, a lot of things are set up with uh, employers and, and 401ks and things like that. They'll buy into mutual funds. Um, basically, mutual funds allow investors to purchase a large number of investments in a single transaction. These funds pool money from uh, many investors. They employ professional manager to invest that money in stocks, bonds, or other assets. There are places like Mass Mutual. Um, I think Vanguard, Charles Schwab, I think all those type of places offer this. Uh, but basically you are going to have this money managed by somebody else and they're gonna um, buy into a ton of different stuff. So mutual funds follow a set strategy. A fund might invest in a specific type of stock or bond like international stocks or government bonds. Some funds invest in both stocks and bonds. How risky the mutual fund is will depend on the investments within the fund. So this is something that oftentimes if you sign up for a 401k through your employer and they're going to do mutual funds, they'll send you a thing saying, you know, what type of mutual fund, you know, do you want more risk, more reward, less risk, less reward? How do you want to invest this? And a lot of them will have like a general checkbox, like more risk, more reward and, you know, things like that. So uh, I know Mass Mutual does it that way. That's something to keep in mind. Um, but how do investors make money off mutual funds? Well, when a mutual fund earns money, for example, through a stock dividend or bond interest, uh, it distributes a proportion of that to investors. When investments in the fund go up in value, the value of the fund increases as well, which means you could sell it for a profit. 
Note, you will pay an annual fee called an expense ratio to invest in a mutual fund. So this does have fees attached to it because again, generally speaking, anytime your money is managed by somebody else and they're investing for you in certain things, you're gonna pay a fee for that. Um, mutual funds are great because it's just companies buy into, uh, they use your money, they buy into big portions of a specific mutual fund they have set up, which could be stocks, bonds, both, whatever it may be. And then you get paid out like we talked about earlier when there's dividends quarterly or you know the biannual um, uh, bond interest, whatever it may be, you'll get paid out a percentage on those as well. And then also your fund will grow over time, which is why 401ks grow and those sorts of things when they're invested in mutual funds. This one, typically you don't have quite as much individual control over. It's kind of one of those things that normally comes with like your company or 401k or something like that, where a, you know, another institution already has their funds set up and you kind of pick one to roll with. Um, next, you have the index funds, which basically an index fund is you are investing in an index like the S&P 500. Um, it'll mirror the performance of the S&P 500. Like for example, if you bought into Vanguard has an S&P 500 index fund that's really popular. Um, I do believe a lot of these require minimums to get in, like $1,000, $3,000, those sorts of things just to buy in. So can be a little bit pricey, but you do typically get good returns. Vanguard has a really good return rate over the last like, I don't know, 30 years or something, maybe longer. Uh, where they, I think it's like 10 to 15% somewhere in there, uh, which is a great return. Um, but basically, um, index funds will follow an index. They kind of mirror it. So like, for example, if you bought an S&P 500 index fund, it will mirror, uh, it will aim to mirror the performance of the S&P 500 by holding stocks of the companies within that index. So only buy into stocks within that index to kind of mirror the growth of the S&P 500. Uh, the benefit of index funds is that they tend to cost less because they don't have an active manager on the payroll. The risk associated with an index fund will depend on the investments within the fund. So although they are not, um, you know, held by an active manager, a lot of times you do have to have a, a decent minimum amount to get started in index funds, but that'll vary. You know, Do your research, check it out if this is something you're interested in. Uh, how do you make money on index funds? Index funds may earn dividends or interest just like everything else, which is distributed to investors. Uh, these funds may also go up in value when the benchmark indexes they track go up in value. Investors can then sell their share in the fund for a profit. Index funds also charge expense ratios, but noted above, um, but also noted above, these costs tend to be lower than mutual fund fees. So something to keep in mind. Um, most of these all cost money in some way, shape, or form to do them, but risk and reward changes on all of them and how much you can get back changes on all of them. So index funds are kind of one of those things where you invest in it and you just leave it alone and never touch it again. Like you just kind of invest in it and that's it. And then you'll worry about it later on down the road when you're looking at retirement. Um, you know, you'll maybe want to sell these off and, and get, you know, how much the, uh, S and P 500 has gone up since you bought in, you know, that sort of thing. And you can make a ton of profit that way. But if you're somebody who doesn't want to have to actively manage things, index funds are, are a great way to go. Then we have the ETFs, which is what I talked about earlier, the exchange traded funds. Um, they are a type of index funds. They track a benchmark index and aim to mirror that index's performance. Like index funds, they tend to be cheaper than mutual funds because they are not actively managed. 
the major difference between index funds and ETFs is how ETFs are purchased. They trade in exchange like a stock, which means you can buy and sell ETFs through the day and an ETF's price will fluctuate throughout the day. Mutual funds and index funds, on the other hand, are priced at the end of each trading day. That price will be the same no matter what time you buy or sell. So ETFs trade just like stocks. They'll go up and down intraday. So throughout the day, they'll be going up and down. And so that allows a little bit more flexibility when you wanna buy in, um, as opposed to mutual funds and index funds, which are um, priced at the end of each trading day. And no matter what you pay, it's gonna be the same, but they're priced at the end of each trading day. Uh, I have ETFs because I could, I think when I bought Vanguard ETFs, they were like $115 a share right when COVID hit. And then now I think they've kind of bounced back up into like the 140s, 150s. So um, that's something to keep in mind is that you have a little bit more flexibility on buying those. And you can buy those through like a Roth IRA through Vanguard. That's how I did it, where uh, I purchased Vanguard ETFs through a Vanguard Roth IRA account. Um, uh, the bottom line is the difference doesn't matter to many investors, but if you want more control over the price of the fund, you may want to roll with an ETF. Um, Oh, you don't like that one? Okay, well, I guess Oliver's not a big fan of the ETFs. I'm not sure what that's all about, but how do you make money? So as with the mutual fund and an index fund, your hope as an investor is that the fund will increase in value and you will be able to sell it for a profit. ETFs may also pay out dividends and interest to investors. So I know that the Vanguard ETF that I purchased does pay out dividends uh, and has grown in value since I purchased it. So a lot of this stuff, if you really do your research, Throughout the uh, you know COVID nineteen um, you know now is not exactly the worst time to buy in generally speaking because a lot of prices have dropped down but again you want to contact a professional do your research that's just my opinion um, but prices in theory will only start to go back up over the next six months to a year to two years whatever it may be um, but definitely plan on probably holding a lot of these uh, options for a while so. Um, a lot of the things that we're looking at are not quick overnight get rich quick schemes. Uh, there aren't those. If you want to do that, join a multi-level marketing company and then let me know how that goes. Uh, but then you have options. This is probably the one I'm least familiar with because they are the most complex in my opinion. Um, but basically an option is a contract to buy or sell a stock at a set price by a set date. Options offer flexibility as the contract doesn't actually obligate you to buy or sell the stock. As the name implies, doing so is an option. Most options contracts are for 100 shares of a stock. So typically that means you're gonna have to have more money up front to invest in options. Um, but when you buy an option, you're buying the contract, not the stock itself. You can then either buy or sell the stock at the agreed upon price within the agreed upon time sell the options contract to another investor or let the contract expire. So if that sounds complex to you, it's because it is complex and requires an immense amount of research to know what you're doing when it comes to options trading. Um, how do you make money on options? Options can be quite complex, but at the basic level, you're, looking at, you're locking in at a price of a stock you expect to increase in value. If, you, if your crystal ball is right, you benefit by purchasing the stock for less than the going rate. If it is wrong, you can forego the purchase and you're only out the cost of the contract itself. So a lot more flexibility with these guys, but it does uh, offer a lot more complexity with that flexibility. I threw it in here because it is an option, no pun intended, but it is an option for investing. Um, 
if you're going to go this route, I highly suggest, I mean, any of these routes, you should talk with a professional, but when it comes to options, you really, really want to do your research to know what you're getting into. Um, stocks and options are the most volatile and probably the biggest risk in everything we looked at, uh, but they also can have the biggest reward. So if you know one of those people who likes to gamble a bit, it's time to look. But that's where you can get into things like ETFs and things that are a little bit more solidified where it diversifies your account for you and you don't have to worry quite as much when things start to crash because more often than not, it will bounce back. Um, but yeah, so all that being said, I know that took like 45 minutes just to go through those. So it took me forever to put all this information together. Again, if you really like the information, if this is helpful and opening your eyes to stocks and trading and options and all that sort of stuff, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, comment, whatever you gotta do, and let us know what you thought about this, anything I can improve upon, those sorts of things. Uh, but finally, let's look at some brokers that are available to you. I use TD Ameritrade, which um, primarily is because they have the Thinkorswim platform, which is free. It's a great platform that can get you started in um, trading stocks if you're interested in day trading or buying your own stocks, that sort of thing. Uh, Thinkorswim is fantastic. It can do very basic scans and those sorts of things. Um, but it's really cool. You'll learn a lot using Thinkorswim. They have a lot of educational features, those sorts of things, and um, is my favorite definitely by far in terms of like if I'm doing day trading, I like Thinkorswim because I can see everything going on. A lot of the videos you'll see of other day traders or you know brokers, things like that, they'll have videos with Thinkorswim on there. Um, Vanguard is also very popular. Again, you can set up the Roth IRA through them. That's what I have. You can trade through Vanguard accounts and um, they have a lot of flexibility there and they're very trusted and been around a long time. Uh, then you have Charles Schwab who also offers a lot of flexibility. They've been around for a long time. Fidelity, E-Trade, First Trade, Merrill Edge, which is um, I believe the offset of, it's like Merrill Lynch's um, version of that, so Merrill Edge. And then you have Ally Invest. Uh, these are just a few brokers that you can kind of look into if you're thinking about Roth IRAs, stocks, opening any of these accounts. Um, you can definitely check into these, these brokers here to kind of get you started. But again, always do your research, check everything out first, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into before you spend any money or sign up for anything. Um, and just kind of, you know, always make sure to do your best and research everything as much as possible so that when you get involved in these things, you know what to do. Um, I just realized I didn't even change the episode on that. Well, that's sad. So just ignore the episode two background. That's gonna be a mulligan for this one because uh, we're 55 minutes in and I'm not re-recording this. So pretend that that says episode three, how to start investing. Uh, we'll just you know pretend here, but Oh man, I know that was a shit ton of information. I know it gets really boring and vanilla when it talks about investing, but if you can get excited about it, knowing that this is these are ways for you to improve your financial situation and to have money to build towards the future, uh, that's what got me really excited about this. I'm not somebody who wants to sit around reading like, you know, dry things about you know ETFs and all that, but. I do it because I get excited about the end goal, which is to set up my financial future and to hopefully be in a much better place, you know, 10 years from now than I am currently um, and be able to do the things I want to do. So again, I had a lot of people ask me about basically how I got involved in this, what 
things to look into specifically. How do high yield savings accounts work? What are my different retirement account options? What are most popular things? Who are the brokers I go to? All that information is in here. Hopefully this was all helpful to you. Again, if it was, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, do all those things. Let me know that I should keep making these videos. Uh, and also make sure to comment on what you think I missed or if there's another thing you like to do or if you have any of these and you say, hey, you know, Ally Bank was great or I really like using TD Ameritrade or anything like that. Uh, please make sure to comment below. Let us know what you think and check out all the other videos too. I'm creating content. Um, the podcast is coming out weekly and I'm starting to do videos in between those podcasts. So um, I'll probably try and make a condensed version of this at some point, but everybody wanted the full depth uh, uh, investigation into all of these uh, different types of um, investments. So I wanted to go ahead and do that. And eventually I'll get into talking about real estate, but that one usually involves a lot more money and a lot more complexity. So that'll be for another video. But thank you all again so much for helping out. It really means a lot when you guys show your support. I uh, hope this was informational. I hope it was helpful. Best of luck to you guys building your future. Stay happy, stay healthy. And thanks again for checking this out. And if you made it to the very end, congratulations. Congratulations, you did it. I don't really have a you know a, a surprise for you, but uh, hopefully the content in this video will help you build your future. If it does, and you're really happy with something, let me know, man. I'd love to hear about how things are going for you. So stay safe, stay healthy out there, everybody. And uh, yeah, love you guys. I'm out.